chapter 39 this morning. We will continue our walk through the book of Genesis. Uh, We finished up last week in uh, chapter 38. And uh, there we saw uh, the contrast to what we'll see today. We saw Judah being unfaithful to the covenant. We said that Judah was seeking dominion and the seed through power. That uh, he was content with living in a lie, living a lie and in the region of lie and lording his authority over others to, in order to fulfill the dominion mandate. This is not the way God would have us to take dominion, though we should take dominion. We are to be servants instead. We saw once again the theme of the younger brother supplanting the older. This was magnified in Perez making a breach and, take, and later supplanting Zerah, the older brother, in Salmon, son of Perez, supplanting Achan, son of Zerah. He married Hagar, and they bore Boaz, God, grandfather of David, grandfather of Christ. The contrast of, uh, of Judah will now be set forth in the actions of Joseph. As we come at chapter 39, we must remember that these chapters are not segmented stories cut up and brought in and thrown together um, like they're not related. They are whole and we need to seek to interpret them this way because ultimately their author is God. Uh, So here we see that this is the continuing story of the favored son servant and the jealous brother's servants. But we should also be reminded of such histories as Adam in the Garden of God, Hagar and Abraham, Sarah and Pharaoh, and of course, Jesus Christ. Today we will see that Joseph is given complete control of all that was in Potiphar's garden, save one thing. This is his wife, both a forbidden fruit and an Eve character used by Satan to tempt Joseph, the Adam figure. Unlike his older brother, Joseph refuses this constant temptation and is stripped of his garments of authority and cast out of that garden. So if you will, stand to honor the reading of God's Word this morning and remain standing as we ask God the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of His Word. Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1, the Word of the Lord reads, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was, from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, had, all that, he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. 
And she said, Lie with me. And he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she called him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought in uh, to us a Hebrew to mock us. We, he came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened, when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her, so she kept his garment with her until her, his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened, as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was, when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, he, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us now go to the Lord in prayer. Blessed and almighty God, we thank you, Father, for this, your word. Help it to teach us that there is only one way to, to receive dominion. There's only one way to take dominion, Father, not only of ourselves, but our homes and in our workplaces. Father, that is to serve not only you, but others. Make us perpetual servants, Father, that you may make us kings here in this world and that we may glory in your greatness. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Joseph was an Adam figure, verses 1 through 6a. Uh, we now return to Joseph. By the way, if, if I say A or B, you know that that means the first part or the second part, and may, sometimes it'll be C and be the third part. Uh, it's the phrase, and I believe that 6b should be a part of the next uh, paragraph, so we're going to cut it in half. We now return to Joseph and his history. He is brought to Egypt by the Ishmaelites and sold to Potiphar the Egyptian. Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So here we need to point out that Potiphar, the captain of the guard, Pharaoh's officer, was an Egyptian. Now, why is that told to us? We should automatically assume, right? So if somebody was brought from Africa in the 1860s or before... 
and they were brought to, an Ameri- to America, and we said they were sold into slavery, we would not have to say that they were Americans. Why? Because they're in America. It is safe to assume that if they are Americans, you don't have to say it. So why does God want us to know, and he tells us several times, that Potiphar is the Egyptian? He is an Egyptian. Right? Well, the reason is that uh, he, it is said, uh, again, recalling that Joseph is the Ishmaelite character in this story. That is, Ishmael was the son of Abraham by Sarah's Egyptian maidservant. Now, Joseph, the son of Abraham, through Sarah, is the servant of an Egyptian in his household. Also notice that Joseph stands in Potiphar's house as an Adam. All things were given into his authority because it was evident that the Lord was with him. The Egyptian master noticed that Joseph was successful and gave him authority over all he had. And the only thing that Potiphar was concerned with was his bread. And and I think that this is said so that we understand the only thing that he had any clue as to what was going on into his household as far as the management thereof was what was set on the table before him. He trusted Joseph so much, he didn't even check behind him. You know, in, in the business world, we have this saying, you should trust but verify. He was not verifying he, anything. All he did was come in, sit down, eat his meal, and go to bed. He never questioned anything. He never asked what was going on in the household. Uh, and so that was the only insight that he gained. This Adam figure, Joseph, worked Potiphar's garden, keeping and tilling it and making it successful. Everything that went on in the house and everything that went on in the field, God blessed because Joseph had a hand in it. Potiphar had no reason to worry about his garden because he found Joseph a faithful servant. Unlike Adam and us, unfortunately, Joseph was not about demanding his rights but doing his duty. Now, this is something that we need to to get out of our heads, and this is really going to be a struggle. I have my guns, so don't rush the stage. Please understand what I'm going to say. I'm not downing our country or our forefathers, but our Constitution is mingled with humanism. And the biggest place is when the Christian church demands rights. Now, yes, there are certain things that we have received by the hand of God and alienable, Right? They cannot be taken away from us, but they're not rights. They're duties. And we need to get our minds right on this. Because when they come and demand your children, you don't give them to, the, to them because you have a right to your children. It is because you have a duty to protect and raise your children. That's your duty. So, no, officer, you cannot have my children. God has given them to me, and it's my duty to make sure that they're cared for, that they are educated, that they're safe. That's my duty, right? It has nothing to do with your rights, right? And so we need to get that straight in our heads. Uh, we, we, We need to change the nomenclature. And the reason is because if we don't get the nomenclature right, then we will act as humanists rather than as Christians. The Bible should inform how we look at the world, not the Constitution, not our history. Those things are glorious. We... We love the Constitution. It's a great thing. It is a wonderful thing, right? But it is not the Bible. It is not inspired, right? The Bible is inspired. And so we need to go in that direction. Um, So he once again, the favor is the favored son, servant, set over 
uh, all the other servants, and he said against them because they become jealous. All the servants would answer to him, servants should be seen by their masters like sons. So it's easy, it's not a big jump to say that Joseph was in the place of Potiphar, of Potiphar's son, and Potiphar was now playing the, the role of Jacob. He was over him, trusted him, gave everything into his hands, and then the other servants become jealous, and we'll see this. Eve tempts Adam in the garden, verses 6b through 10. We are told that Joseph was handsome of form and figure. He was a pretty man, and he had power. This should remind us of what is said of his grandmother, Sarah, as she was a beautiful woman. Right? She drew attention to herself because of her looks. Pharaoh desired her. Pharaoh's servants pointed her out. Abimelech wanted her because she was beautiful, because she was a beautiful woman. After Joseph comes to, all, to have all authority in the house, he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. She casts a longing eye on him. So what happens is she looked upon Joseph and evaluated him by her eyes, the same thing Eve did, right? She looked on the fruit, saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, it was good for food and good to make one wise. So same thing, right? This woman looked upon Joseph and desired him. She wanted him because he was pretty and he was powerful. Probably the last one more than the first one because women don't look at attraction the same way men do, right? Men are goofy. <laughs> She's pretty. Right, right, but she may be dumb as a brick and bad for you. I don't care if she's pretty. Right, so women don't look at that. Women look at, how is he good for me? How is he going to protect me? How is he going to provide for me? How is he going to raise children? Those kind of questions come into her mind as to whether or not she finds him attractive. Look at me and then look at my wife and tell me that's not true. Right? So, so right, so that, that's what we... Have to look at that's what's going on here. Second, because of he was the power in the house. Now here's the trap, and we all need to pay close attention and, and heed this and fear. Be very fearful as you read the Bible a lot of times because it will give us examples of ways we will or can fall. Men, when you have power, you are attractive to women. When you gain authority, you must be on guard. Women, you are drawn to men who can provide and protect. Again, look at Donald Trump and look who he's married to. Right? It's a great example, right? I mean, he ain't never been a good-looking man. Ever. Even when he was a young man, he wasn't really that good-looking. But he's got a lot of money and he's got a lot of power. He can provide and protect. Right? We are... We, we, we have to be aware of where we can be entangled, where we can be grabbed by Satan and tempted, right? And it's even worse, women, if this uh, powerful man, this rich man, is also good-looking. If he's not a bad-looking man, that doesn't hurt, right? She tempts him and says, lie with me. Joseph resists her temptation with three reasons. First... The master has placed complete trust in me and given me everything but you. Everything but you. So this should have been Adam's response when he was tempted by Eve. Woman, what's wrong with you? God has given me everything that I could ever need. He's given me you. Why I need this fruit for? 
He's going to give it to me later if I'm faithful. So tell the devil to take a hike. I'll tell him to take a hike. Right? When we are given trust, when somebody places their trust in us, the right godly response is faithfulness. When you're trusted by your employer, when you're trusted by your uh, pastor with something, faithfulness should be the response, not unfaithfulness. Joseph could not serve his master and break trust. Those two things are mutually exclusive. You, you say, well, I was faithful all except for this one thing. Yeah, and sin entered the world. You cannot be a faithful servant and break faithfulness. Cannot. Second, she was the only thing withheld from him, and to grasp at her would be to commit a great evil. Why would you have me commit this great evil? We see here again that this is a Garden of Eden story. She was both the tempter and the forbidden fruit. Third, this would be sin against God. Now notice that the covenant name for God is not used here, but the general name. He was calling her attention <clears throat> excuse me, to the fact that the creator of heaven and earth was the one they would be sinning against and not just some local deity. <clears throat> this was something that became a continual temptation to Joseph. Excuse me. <clears throat> right? So she spoke to him this way day by day. Every day she would come in and she'd say, lie with me. Come in, lie with me. Now, I believe for it to be a real temptation, she was hot. You know, she was a cutie, right? She probably took care of herself, went down to the local spa, got her hair fixed and nails did, right? She she took care of herself. She was a good-looking woman. And, uh, and, and, And so this is constant. Joseph was faithful to his master, though. He did not fall, unlike Adam. Joseph is stripped of his garments and accused, verses 11 through 13. Next, we have the next temptation, the second temptation, the last. Now, Eve is not just evaluating with her eyes and tempting the Adam figure to eat. She has physically now sought to persuade Joseph. The grabbing of Joseph's garment was a physical act, and it brought on not by her, and it was not brought on by her grabbing at power. Now, the garment that he had on, I will argue, is a garment of authority. It was uh, symbolizing to all the other servants, just like his multicolored coat, I am the head of this house under my master. I'm a faithful servant. And so she's grabbing at that garment. But I don't believe she's trying to get power. I think that that would be foolish for her because she's married to the true power, her husband, Potiphar. She wants him to take his garment of authority and cover her with it. Because to cover one with your garment is is symbolic of having sex. Because when you become one person, one person wears a garment. And so a man would open his garment and he would cover his wife with it. So we see that's exactly what's going on in Ruth, right? Ruth 3.9 in the uh, Young's Little Translation reads, And he said, Who art thou? That's Boaz. 
And she said, I am Ruth, thy, ma- thy handmaid, and thou hast spread thy skirt, thy garment, over thy maid's handmaid, for thou art a redeemer. She's asking him, take me to be your wife. Make me your wife. Lie with me. Now, we want to automatically go, well, wait a minute. They didn't go, they didn't go down to York and get, get them no marriage license, and they didn't make announcements and send out... And they didn't rent the, the local, you know, whatever people are renting now, these party houses. They didn't do none of those things. How could they be married? The same way that Isaac married Rebekah. He took her into his mother's tent and he lay with her and she became his wife. That's how they did it then. Right? So, that's what Ruth's asking. Make me your wife. Redeem me because thou art a redeemer. This is the imagery of becoming one flesh in this sexual act. She was attracted to the one in power, and she wanted to share his glory. And this would have accomplished this. And, and, and let's just, just an aside, we need to understand, glory is social. That's why women are attracted to, to a powerful men, because they are seen as more beautiful because they've caught this powerful man who will you know, consequently also be able to support and provide for her, right? So all of that's kind of mixed in. And you go, well, that's silliness. No, it ain't. When your college football team wins the national championship, you're walking around like a peacock because your team won like you did something. Why? Because you're sharing in their glory. The church, likewise, shares in her husband's glory. It's exactly what Christ prayed for in John 17. God Glorify them as you have glorified me. She wanted to share in his glory. She couldn't tell her husband, but everybody else would know she had Joseph, the power in the house. Right? And so she wanted that glory. And we have to see that this was the temptation, really. We 21st people, century people see sex as just sex. Right? It's just sex. Who cares? It's just sex. Right? We, we saw that Joseph was easy on the eyes, pretty to look at, and so she lusted after him. That's exactly what she wanted. But this is a minimalist view of sex and the world. What Eve wanted here was the glory of laying with and being one with the power in the house. Now, we must not lose the fact that Joseph was still the slave, but she would be sleeping with the true wielder of power in the home. The real temptation was to abuse his power. When Adam and Eve sinned, the sin was grasping at power before they were ready. God was going to give them the garments of authority when they were ready, but instead they had to go out because they couldn't wait and make their own garments to cover their sin. But God God found that they were inadequate. They found they were inadequate. And God had to clothe them. But once you get power, the temptation is to abuse that power. Right? Once you come into authority, because I said so, you know who I am. That kind of attitude is what Satan wanted Joseph to do and have. He chose to lose his authority rather than abuse it. Can you sit here today and say, man, I've attained to what I want, but I'll give it all back. So I don't have to sin against Christ. 
I'll give it all back. My house, my car, my glorious wife. Right? I'll give it all back to be faithful. God, I hope we can say that. Right? He left it with her rather than using it as a covering for sin. So, when Satan loses, he accuses. Verses 14 through 18. Now, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did, and so here we are. Satan loses because God upholds Joseph. Satan was hoping to flip Joseph to his side. And as has been said by a wise man, the first and cheapest temptation to become a slave is sex. You know the devil's working when you're tempted with sex. You know that he's trying to stop you from accomplishing what God's going to do through you if you're tempted uh, by some pretty girl at work or, or you're tempted uh, to look at pornography or you're, you know, God, the, Satan is trying to bring you down. He's trying to enslave you and he's trying to stop you for work, from working for the kingdom of God. And it's cheap and easy, right? Because those women are willing and most men are too stupid to know that real women don't act that way. Right? Real women don't act like men toward sex. But those women in those movies do. Or those girls who would tempt an older man, they're pretending. Right? They're pretending so that they can hook, get hooks in you. But Joseph, having refused, had to be now slandered. Satan could not let this stand. He had to stop Joseph. The best way for Satan to do this was to have him killed. I believe this is what Satan attempts to do, using the wife of Potiphar to get Joseph killed. There is no way that the captain of the guard right under Pharaoh would allow his slave to attempt to sleep with his wife and not have him put to death. Listen, we don't live in Egypt in uh, that wicked imperialistic time. But it's known that if you sleep around with a man's wife, he's liable to shoot you. Right? So there's, there's no doubt, right? And this is probably a set penalty for slaves attempting to sleep with the master's wife. So we have, then have the bride accusing the Adam figure of the he, to the heathen authorities that could have him killed. This is exactly what the bride did to her Messiah. Matthew... 27, 11 through 13 reads, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. The church in the person of the Sanhedrin and the high priest, accused Jesus to the Roman authorities of making himself a king in opposition to, uh, to Caesar. That is not what Jesus did because he doesn't compete with Caesar. He is Caesar's Lord. right? So he, he wasn't trying to take Caesar's place. He was telling everybody, I rule everybody. right? I rule right over everybody. So lastly, I want us to... Also notice the connection again with Ishmael. Two times Potiphar's wife says that the Hebrew slave that Potiphar had brought into the house, right, was, was trying to Isaac her. Same exact word. That word mock 
in the New King James is the same exact word that we get the name of Isaac from in uh, the story of Sarah laughing with God. Right? Laughing at God. Well, she wasn't laughing at God. I think she was laughing for joy. But either way, that's the same word. It can mean mockery. It can mean laughter. Right? And what, why did Ishmael have to get out of the house? Because he was laughing at Isaac. He was mocking Isaac. Same scenario, same story. And so what we need to learn from this, right? Until the older brother is redeemed, that is Ishmael, they will forever be slaves. The Hebrew are slaves then until Christ comes. Read the Bible, the Old Testament. You say, well, what about Solomon? Yeah, but even then there were greater powers over them in the imperial system of the world. And so they don't truly become free until Christ's resurrection. Death could not hold him. 19 through 23, the accusation was heard by the master and his anger burned. As we should expect when we read this, Potiphar gets mad. He, it, it says that his anger is aroused. The thing that we next expect to happen does not. Also, by the way, uh, ang his anger was aroused is usually something that's only said of God. And so we see him kind of in this God place in the type. You know, he's not a God. But the thing that we next expect doesn't happen. We, as we have said, should have thought that Joseph would have been condemned. But instead, he is confined. And this was the protection of Yahweh to Joseph directly, but also to his brothers and Egypt indirectly. Had Joseph died, all those people would have starved to death. They'd all died, right? They would have all died. And so we need to think about the fact that God raised Christ from the dead, and had he not, we would all still be dead. We'd all still be dead in our sins. If it were not for the resurrection of Christ, we could not live. It is very likely that Potiphar knew that his faithful servant and not his wicked wife was telling the truth. But we need to notice here that Joseph gives no defense of himself. Right? This again should remind us of what we just read in Matthew. Christ did not answer him a word. The righteous do not have to give a response. Why? Because we are to evaluate everything, but no man is to evaluate me. So what? Yeah, right? That's what, that's what Paul says. Right? I'm to do the evaluation for myself, and if you accuse me of sin that I didn't commit, I don't have to answer you. I can laugh at you and point. Right? I don't have, I don't have to respond. Defending himself against the mistress of the house might put him in a more perilous position would have been better that he goes into prison than to remain in the house. Because he would constantly been tempted some more. And it may be that Potiphar, a public official in Pharaoh's court, would be in himself in peril by adjudicating between a slave and his wife. Plus, what about the embarrassment? Everybody would know what's going on in his home. Joseph is cast into the prison that we will see later is in Potiphar's charge. The Lord once again prospers Joseph and the keeper of the prison notices, likely because Potiphar pointed it out to him. I really believe that. I believe that Potiphar knew what his wife was and what she was doing. She, he had to separate her and Joseph, and he had to save face, so he put him in prison. But then he put him in a good position to not suffer as bad. This incident 
should be seen at, uh, as, a death, as a death moment for Joseph. But God uses Potiphar, Potiphar's insight and power to protect him. It very well may be that Potiphar's anger was aroused because he was not going to be able to play golf every day. Right? He had put everything in Joseph's hands. You want to you you go play golf? Joseph's got it. We, we're just going to go play golf. Right? Now he's like, Dadgum, I've got to come home and deal with that woman now. Right? You, you just don't know. He now had to oversee the management of the house on his own. The thing that I want us to notice is the contrast from Judah to Joseph and the tact that each took to take dominion. No matter what men say about the dominion mandate, they cannot deny the image of God. All men everywhere will seek to take dominion. Right? That's exactly the reason why, you know, the uh, secular humanist uh, wants to argue and shout down the Christian. Why? Because they want to control them. They want dominion over them. They want to rule. Right? I, I don't sit and argue with people over Santa Claus. Right? Because I know he ain't real, so it doesn't matter what you think about him. Right? If atheists knew that God didn't exist, then they wouldn't argue with you. Why? Because, I mean, what do I care if Charlie thinks there's a Santa Claus? When, so so we, need to, we need to see... Uh, how this happens. Judah sought to rule and take dominion by power and manipulation. Joseph sought rule by service. This does not mean weakness, but meekness. The meek do not inherit the earth because of their weakness, by being weak. When Judah failed to get what he wanted, i.e. a grandchild, he manipulated and denied others their duty. Joseph continues to serve and do all he does for Christ. Right? He, he was a servant as a slave. He was a servant as a prisoner. He's just, he just serves. It's, look, man, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to serve God. I'm just going to keep serving until I get what I want. Why? Because God exalts the humble. Right? You know, Joseph didn't go in there and say, Hey, man, you know who I am. I'm the heir of the sheik. Right? Jacob is wealthy, man. All you got to do is send messenger. He'll pay for my freedom. Get me out of here. He didn't say that one time. Hey, man, I never touched that chick. What are you doing throwing me in jail? Never one time does he demand his rights. He just does his duty. See the difference? Now, briefly, we need to talk about how God has laid out dominion in the Bible thus far. We see that first we have Abraham. He, was, he has a patient faith. He has promised a son and dominion through that son, and though he and Sarah are old, he trusts and waits. Isaac has a received faith. This is where the church is today. Isaac is taking wells and building the house of God. But like Adam, Isaac falls and tries to abuse the bride and the seed. Again, it's where we are today. Jacob has a wrestling faith. The inheritance was in jeopardy, and he had to journey and strive. He strove with his father and his brother. Then he strove with his uncles and his cousins, and then eventually his wives. Finally, he strove with God. Joseph has a serving faith. He served his father and brothers, though his brothers hated him for it. Then he served Potiphar both in the house and in the jail. What we need to see is that we, as the church, will be faced with diverse situations. Different things will be going on at different times. 
There will be a time to trust and be faithful while we wait on God. There will be a time to rest in the promises of God and a time to strive and serve to get the promises of God. We, will, we see that each one, what each one looks like and we know how now what the dangers are. How is it that we can fall into a trap? Well, you've got to trust fully or you'll end up with Ishmael, right? You have to realize it's not yours, it's God's, or you'll end up cheating your sons out of their inheritance, right? You can, and, and most of all, and I think one of the most important lessons, you're not going to get out of this without a limp, right? You're not, you cannot meet with God and not be affected. There's going to be scars. Or as the famous book says, there's, there will be blood. It's going to be painful. It has to be. Because if we're going to emulate the, sur- the suffering servant, we have to su- suffer as we serve. Lastly, I want us to see that this is the death of the Redeemer. We can see the pit and selling into slavery as a death. And I even uh, preached it that way. And in a way, it is. But Joseph is more humbled than dies. He's only there temporarily. But what happens? He's stripped of his glory in his uh, multicolored coat of authority. Thus, like Christ, Joseph lays aside his glory in his multicolored coat to go into slavery. This was needed because his brothers needed a redeemer. Jesus Christ laid aside his glory and took on the mantle of a slave, of a servant. Now, he has been thrown into another pit and dies symbolically that he may be exalted. We will see this next week. And as we will see again, another double witness and the revelation of God brought to Joseph. May God grant to us dominion over all around us. May he teach us by the actions of our precious Savior that this will only come through service to others. May God grant us to see needs and meet them, living open-handedly and loving our neighbors as ourselves, doing our duties rather than demanding our rights. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Glorious.